Many, many years ago, uh, there was a man who had experienced a, a barrage of difficult circumstances. He had great losses in his life. They were extreme. In a series of events, he, he lost his home, his finances, some family, his community was broken apart. He experienced great affliction, the pain of being removed from the regular rhythm of life. He watched as others took all he possessed. In the midst of these difficulties, he felt completely helpless. He described his plight as as going through darkness without any light. And he was filled with bitterness and robbed of all peace. In the midst of this, he says, I have forgotten what happiness is. And then this man, in the midst of great suffering, said these words, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. If you have a Bible, you can go ahead and open it up or a Bible app to the Old Testament book of Lamentations chapter 3. We're going to take some time this evening to examine this man in the midst of great trial and difficulty and these words that he expresses about God's faithfulness even in those circumstances. Let's read together Lamentations chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 19. And up to this point, this book has just been capturing the sorrow and pain of the people of God. They have been removed from their land, taken into captivity, and are in the midst of great trial. And this man is pouring out his heart to God in sorrow. In verse 19, he says, Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in Him. The Lord is good to those who wait for Him, to the soul who seeks Him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Our aim tonight in looking at these verses is really just to ask the question, how can this be? How can this man respond with these words of leaning on and looking to the faithfulness of God when the circumstances around him declare nothing but 
God's goodness to him. He is experiencing extreme trial. And yet we have eternally recorded for us in God's word these words of looking to, leaning on, and declaring God is faithful. So that, that's our, our aim and, and our, our direction is just to ask, how can this man in great lament respond in this way? The circumstances call him to do everything but trust in God's faithfulness. This man sees the faithfulness of God and he recognizes that he needs to be able to hold on to that if he's going to respond to the circumstances around him with any, any hope at all. What we discover in these verses is that those, those who lean on the faithfulness of God find their genuine hope and a life of continued thanksgiving. See, we we like to speak and sing and talk about God's faithfulness. I mean, these these verses that I read, I I think, are are pretty familiar to us, right? This, This is like the ultimate coffee cup verse. His mercies are new every morning, great is His faithfulness, right? We have some signs and coffee cups in our home with these verses. We just sing about God's faithfulness. We talk about how God is faithful. But I think it's important for us to set these verses in the context in which God's Word sets them. Very often we we think of God's faithfulness, or we have that cup of coffee in a comfortable chair, in a warm home, but that's not the origin of these words. This man is not in comfortable circumstances. He is not receiving what we would call good blessings from God. He's in difficulty, in pain, and in sorrow, but it's in those circumstances in which he declares that God is faithful. So, we need to ask, well, what what do we mean when we say that God's faithful? What What does the Bible mean in declaring that God is faithful? Again and again and again, throughout this book, it says that God is faithful. But what does that mean? I think there are at least three ingredients that make up God's faithfulness. The first is that God is providential in all things. What does this mean? We can speak of God in His sovereignty. He is the creator of all things. From Him originates all that exists. But He is not this God who has spoke all things into existence set it on its course, and then sat back to observe. That's not how God is. God is intimately involved with the details of His creation. God is intimately involved with the circumstances of your life. 
Look down a little bit further on the page as this lamenting man continues to speak in verses 37 and 38. He says this, Who has spoken and it came to pass unless the Lord has commanded it? Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that good and bad come? Those are difficult words for us to process and to handle. But this man here is declaring the providence of God. There is nothing, not one detail of all of creation that moves and shifts without it being commanded by God Himself. He has power over all things. He is controlling all things. And, and though this may be difficult for us to understand, or at times we may, we may be somewhat just apathetic to God's providence, we may think that at certain times, yes, God does intervene in His creation, in my life, in the lives of those around me, but I don't, I don't really think that He's in control all the time, or at least I don't really pay much attention to it. But God is ever aware of every thought and motion of our lives. No one is sitting here tonight by accident. God's providence has brought us here. It is His hand that moves us and directs all the paths of our lives. We have moments in our lives where the providence of God is revealed to us, where it becomes clear, right? And sometimes we say things like uh, we're recounting an event and we say, oh, it was such a God thing. Or we say, man, that, that really was a God moment that we experienced. I, th- I, think, I think noting and marking those experiences in life, I think that's a good thing for us to take note of. I think it reminds us and helps us to remember God's power and His involvement, and it guides us in our worship. But we also must be aware that there are no moments that aren't God moments. (laughs) There are no things that take place in our lives that aren't God things. He is at work in every moment of our lives, in every part of it, and He is providential over the circumstances of the man who is going through these difficulties in our text. The second thing about God, the second character, is His wisdom. God is all-wise. He is the source of all wisdom. When we bump up into the circumstances in life that we find difficult, that we're not sure their place and their purpose, and we begin to ask those why questions. Why is this happening this way? Why did that thing occur? Why is, oftentimes we think about others and their circumstances. Why is that happening to them? These are the things where our our understanding comes to an end, but God's wisdom doesn't. We observe perplexing circumstances. We have no way of making sense or of reason of them. We question their purpose. We don't understand the cause and the reason for them. Um, 
but the end of our understanding is not the end of wisdom. God's wisdom stretches far beyond ours. In fact, God's wisdom is, is often on display to point out our own foolishness. Paul captures this idea in 1 Corinthians where he says, Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. The very things that we might think make no sense and are totally foolish, God's providential wisdom is at work. He has no end in His wisdom. His wisdom is infinite. His wisdom is always working to serve His ultimate purposes. We get confused by the circumstances of life because they don't seem to fit our goals, our plans, and our ends. But God, in His providence and in His wisdom, is not working towards our goals or towards our ends. His wisdom is at work for His purposes, for His ends. Another coffee cup verse, Romans 8, 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that He might be the firstborn among creation. God has a purpose in all of His dealings, and that purpose is always in line with His infinite wisdom. Our purposes are always in line with what we want. We have purposes, and most often that's for our comfort, but here we see in this verse that God is not after our comfort, but after our conformity to His Son. God's wisdom knows what we need, when we need it, and how best to bring it to pass in our lives for the purpose of His glory and for our good. So God is providential, He is altogether wise, and He's good. He is good. Look at, again at, at what the lamenting man says In verses 22 and 23, he says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. His steadfast love and mercies. This is who God is, a God full of steadfast love and mercies. Verse 25, he says, The Lord is good. The psalmist in Psalm 106 tells us to praise the Lord, to give thanks to the Lord. Why? Because He is good. Again and again, the Bible declares that God is good. This is the essential nature of His character. We must remember that the very ground of His goodness is His glory. We oftentimes judge things as good or bad as they fit along with our own purposes, right? Hey, this thing is good because it gets to what I want, or this thing is bad because it's getting in the way. God is good, 
And all he does is good because it aims at his glory. See, God is the very first one to declare something good and something not good. But he is not just chronologically first in the declaration of good and not good. He is preeminent in that declaration. He is at the, the highest level of authority to declare good and not good. All moral judgments that are right flow out of our understanding that God Himself is good. We would not know what good and wrong is if God didn't reveal who He is to us. And it's impossible for Him to step outside of or to act apart from His goodness. If He did that, He would cease to be God. So that means in everything He does in His providence, in all that He plans in His wisdom, is always and altogether good for His glory. So, we've now circled around the faithfulness of God, and we begin to see how this man can say this in the midst of all these circumstances that seem to contradict his declaration. Because this man decides to look at who God is and not what his circumstances are, he can then declare, great is your faithfulness. Thank you for your mercies. I will have hope. So this man looks upon God and sees unceasing faithfulness, and then he does something about it. He decides to trust in it. He decides to lean on it. He chooses hope and trust. See, there is a call to action when we are called to trust God, right? When we see God and His faithfulness, we have two options. We can either say, I will lean in and trust on that, or rebellion and pushing Him away. This man chooses to trust in God, and trust in God is not just this this passive sit back, that will be nice when it comes to me. He moves and decides and chooses to trust. There is a call to action in trusting the faithfulness of God. It's a decision that he makes. The author, Jerry Bridges, puts it this way. He says, trust, it's not a passive state of mind. It is a vigorous act of the soul by which we choose to lay hold of the promises of God. And cling to them despite the adversity that at times seeks to overwhelm us. It's this this vigorous act of the soul to see God in who He is and say, I will lay hold of that regardless of the circumstances around me. This is what this man does. Look at verse 21. 
He has just got, if you read all of chapter three, you begin to see how deep in sorrow this man is. And he gets to verse 21 and he says, but this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. His action is to call to mind the character of God. Verse 24, he says, therefore I will hope in him. It's a decision that he makes, an action that he takes to set his mind on the character of God, to lift his eyes out of his circumstances and to look on the Lord. This is what we are called to do as believers, as followers of Jesus Christ. It's really easy for us to be consumed with the details of life. It's easy for us to get attached to our circumstances and to be so circumstance-focused that our, our very soul gets attached to what we experience in life, and therefore it leaves us vulnerable to go up and down with the circumstances of life. And here, the example of this man says, don't let your soul be attached to the up and down circumstances of life. Take action to look on the Lord and there cling to trust and hope in His character that does not go up and down, that does not waver or falter. We take up heart and mind, and set them on the character of God. What are some ways we can do this? God has given us means for us to do this very thing. He's given us His Word, the self-revelation that we have before us, the very God of the universe saying, this is who I am. He's given us one another to encourage, to press on, to lean into as conduits of His character and His grace to each other. He's given us prayer. We can, talk, we can talk to the God who owns and runs everything as a means to set our minds and hearts on who He is. We can remember His track record. Look back at the circumstances of your life and mark where you have seen the clear faithfulness of God at work. He hasn't changed. He never will. See, trust, trust is not about understanding our circumstances. That's not what happens to the lamenting man. He doesn't all of a sudden just figure out what's going on around him. When we think that we need to understand the, the intricacies of God's dealing in the world, this will lead us to frustration, to suspicion, and ultimately to distrust of God. Because we can't figure it all out. We don't have the capacity to understand all that God is doing in the world. Learning, learning to trust the faithfulness of God is about leaning on His providences without understanding the circumstances. We don't, need, we don't need the answer to why, we just need to know who and trust in Him. We will always struggle. We're always going to struggle in this life to make sense of God 
being completely in control and the difficult circumstances we encounter. If God is always in control and He's good, then why this bad and this difficulty? The human mind will always struggle to harmonize God's frowning providence and His steadfast love. And if we make our logic and our ability to understand the ground of where we get hope, that will force us to do one of two things. We will either have to say that God is all-powerful but not all-good, or, or we'll have to say He's all-good but He can't be all-powerful. But the Bible says in the faithfulness of God, He's both, and you don't need to figure it out. He's both in control and always good. And so all we do is set our trust and hope on His character. This is exactly what this man does. He does not look to God and say, God, I will trust you if you fix my circumstances. He looks to God and says, I will trust you because you are my portion. Verse 24, the Lord is my ground, my portion, my hope, my solace, my refuge, my rock, all these things that the Bible talks about who God is. He is, for this man, the object of his trust. He doesn't merely just trust God to fix things and make them better. He trusts God because He is God, and He's in control and altogether wise and always good. So that allows this man in the midst of difficult circumstances to have hope, not because of the circumstances, but because he has God himself. And this is what we do. We hold on to who God is. And I look at this man and, and I say, I want, I, want a kind of, I want that steadfast trust in God. When I am in the midst of extremely difficult circumstances, I want to be like him. Here's some of the reality, though. Most of us spend our days not in the circumstances of this man. Most of our days are not in the deepest valleys or on the highest peaks. We typically find our day today just on that middle road that has some goods and some bads, right? We, we experience blessings and trials, difficulties and good gifts. And it's there in those days that are mixed with good times and, and hard times that I think I think it's real easy to just get lulled to sleep and we miss actively trusting in God. I can remember when uh, very early on in our marriage, um, when we were going to that appointment for our first child, the ultrasound where you find out the gender, and we were very excited. Um, and we went to that appointment and we received the difficult news that our first child had a heart defect. Um, and that this particular heart defect 
was related to most often with uh, babies who are born with Down syndrome. So we were given, there's a 75% chance your child will have Down syndrome when he's born and likely will need surgery immediately uh, when he's born. And that news, those, those hours after that were hard, difficult things to hear. And it felt like we were in the deepest of valley. And I just remember my wife and I, uh, in the midst of that, just having no choice, but it wasn't altogether difficult to just say, we trust God in this. We will trust Him in this. We really had nothing else to do. God, in His kindness, used that, and it has affected us to this day in in how we go about our marriage and and life together. Um, But what I find in my life now is as I go through just kind of mundane day-to-day that doesn't bring you to the deepest low or take you to the highest height, it's easy to just kind of fall asleep with, I need to trust God today. It's real easy to just kind of fall asleep on that active trust in God. But we must take note of what this man does, and we need to be intentionally thinking of God's faithfulness and intentionally thanking God for His blessings and His kindnesses that He gives to us so that we are ever being knit into His faithfulness and trusting in Him. We should daily exercise this active placing our trust in God, whatever our circumstances, good or bad. And when we do that, we find that the fruit and effect of trusting in God for His faithfulness is a life that is genuinely marked by thankfulness. Our lives, when we lean on the faithfulness of God, will be marked by thanksgiving. Christians, followers of Jesus, should be the most thankful people on the planet. But this is not fruit from an artificial tree. We are not people who have just decided, oh, we're supposed to be real thankful, so whatever happens, we're just going to grin and bear it and put on a smile. Right? The, the, the theme song of the Christian life is not Bobby McFerrin's Don't Worry, Be Happy. That song grasps at nothing for hope in difficulties. Just whistle till you have a smile. That's not what we do. And we don't ground our thanksgiving and our hope in that often taught principle, it could be worse. We all can remember as kids sitting at the dinner table with that plate of broccoli in front of us and our parents telling us what? There are starving kids all over the world who have nothing to eat. You be thankful and eat that plate. You could have it far worse. We sit there secretly thinking, I wish I was like that kid. His plate was empty. We're not thankful because we can look at circumstances and just go, well, it could be worse. That's not the ground 
of the thanksgiving of the one who has God as their portion. We are not thankful because it could be worse. We are thankful people because we are children of the ever-faithful God. And no matter what our circumstances, He is always after our good and His glory. So we are thankful regardless. And for us, it's not it could be worse. It's always it couldn't be any better. He is our portion. So whatever life brings me tomorrow, I have reason to give thanks to the Lord for He is good and His steadfast love endures forever. I have reason to give thanks. The fruit of thanksgiving in the life of the Christian, that's an indication of our trust in God's faithfulness. Do you want to know how much you trust God? How often are you giving Him thanks? That's an indication. It's a marker. No matter what your circumstances, do you find that in those circumstances, you can look at Him and give thanks to Him? And in there, we find that we have grown to trust Him more and more. Paul tells the church in Thessalonica to give thanks in all circumstances. The Greek word that translates to all in that verse, it means all circumstances. <laughs> because all circumstances are nice? No. Because God's always faithful. He's always faithful. He is always faithful. Even for our lamenting man, God is faithful. And He has given us the supreme display of His faithfulness. This man says in verse 26, it is good that one should wait quietly. That means just to lean without complaining for the salvation of the Lord. The supreme display of God's faithfulness, the climax of all of history and who God is was put on display on that hill called Calvary outside the city of Jerusalem, where the Son of God took on flesh and bore all of our sin, being our substitute, satisfying the wrath of God and therefore bringing us into fellowship with Him so that when we trust in this Jesus to rescue us from our sin, we get God as our portion. We get Him as our portion and we see that He is always faithful. See, the circumstances of that day they made no sense to the logic of men. But the wisdom of God was at work to declare His faithfulness and to save His people. And it is there that the sinner is saved and it is there that believers look again and again and again and again and we say, the steadfast love of the Lord, it never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we have opportunity 
this evening to declare together as your people that you are altogether faithful. You are in control, all wise and good to us. And we have seen that on display, Jesus taking our place. And so help us, help us to be a people that see your faithfulness, ever lean in trusting you, and that our lives would be ever marked by thankfulness and joy. We thank you, we love you, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.